The teacher told the pastor that his son had been speaking to the other children in class about this time of year and that he had told his friends at school that the character that is much celebrated this time of year by children wasn't actually authentic. So after school that day, the pastor got home and called his son into the kitchen. And in order to really have a a good eye-to-eye conversation with the young boy, he picked him up and set him on the kitchen countertop so that they could have a discussion. And he said to the boy, you know, son, your mother and I have always told you the truth. And what you've said at school is the truth. But mom and I have to tell you that it's not your responsibility to tell your friends that truth. It's the responsibility of their parents to tell them. And so dad did the best job possible that he could and the young boy was really discouraged and and kind of dejected and maybe a little confused as he sat there on the countertop. And then all of a sudden, a wry smile broke across the young boy's face. And the dad said to his boy, Son, what are you thinking right now? And the little boy said, Easter's coming. Christmas is a time where we talk a lot about believing. Sometimes that belief is based on fact, and other times it's based on faith. Something that I have come to believe in through my own observation is that Christmas music is being played in stores earlier and earlier and earlier Every year. But I have to confess that I love walking down uh, the aisles at Menards, which I, that's where I've done most of my Christmas shopping. And I walk down the aisles and I hear, I hear the songs that are being played. I hear, hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I don't know if you know it, but that song was written first as a poem in 1739 by a man named Charles Wesley who literally wrote thousands of songs in his day. This song is is especially interesting because he was inspired to write that poem as he walked on the streets of London on Christmas morning, headed to church, and he heard the church bells ringing. And it brought to his mind what are now the lyrics of that poem and that carol, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Those words were written nearly 300 years ago, but they are so important and they, they formulate for you and I today the most important issue of Christmas, and that is this. Can we believe beyond a reasonable doubt that those words that Charles Wesley wrote and that we sing year after year after year are more than just tradition that makes us feel good. Much like Wesley author Lee Strobel, he wrote this, 
God becoming man, spirit taking on flesh, the infinite entering the finite, the eternal becoming bound by time. So the question for you and I today is this, how can we believe beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, the Old Testament paints for us a picture of what the Messiah would look like, not physically, although it, it says there was nothing about him physically that would attract us to him, really what it paints for us is a picture of, his, the, the, of his, his character, the characteristics about his life. And theologians agree that there are over 300 prophecies contained in the Old Testament that tell us about the Messiah. Peter Stoner, who is the department chair of mathematics and astronomy at the Pasadena College in California, he, in his book, Science Speaks, he looks at just eight of those prophecies, and he wanted to find out the mathematical likelihood of one person in the New Testament fulfilling only eight of those prophetic statements contained in the Old Testament. And what he found out, was the prospect that any one person could satisfy just eight of those prophecies turned out to be one in ten to the 17th power. You know, you and I, every Christmas, these prophecies come up. We sing them. We read them. We speak them. Let's look at just a couple of them this morning. The first one is this, that the Messiah would be from the lineage or the line of David. A thousand years, a thousand years B.C., even the very date decries the birth of Jesus, a thousand years before Christ. The prophet Samuel, through the prophet Samuel, God promised King David that there would be one in his lineage who would reign over a kingdom to which there would be no end. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. And then we fast forward into the New Testament, and the angel of the Lord appears to a Jewish girl named Mary, telling her that she was going to give birth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32, it says, He will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him, look at this, the throne of his father, David. Now Jewish people use that word father to to describe the relationship, yes, between a father and son. But also throughout scripture, it's used of someone who came generations before of whom we are part of their family or their line. In Luke chapter 2, we read about a census that was taken by the Romans, which required Jews to return to the city of their family's origin in order to fulfill this sentence and undoubtedly pay a tax. So Joseph leaves his hometown of Nazareth, where he lived, and he travels then to another city, that we find out about. He travels to the city of Bethlehem for a very specific reason. We read about it in Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged, get this, to the house and the line of David. In fact, Bethlehem is known as the city of David. 
Joseph belonged to the family line of King David. In the New Testament, in Luke, and also in Matthew, it records the genealogies of David, or excuse me, of Jesus. But both of those genealogies, they converge down from Abraham to David, but then they part from there, and they divide, and one of them goes through David's son Solomon, and the other through his son Nathan, and they both come back to Joseph and then to Jesus. Some have believed that one is actually Mary's genealogy, but that really is not something that was commonly done, and probably more likely, one was the kingly lineage, and one was the actual father-to-son lineage as it made its way through the generations. But either way, a promise was made to David a thousand years earlier and is traced all the way to the baby in a manger. Secondly, that we read the prophecy that a, a virgin will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now everyone in this place, everyone within the sound of my voice that has ever had children, you know this, that outside of naming your child, you basically have found out that it is impossible to plan really for anything. Okay, so it was prophesied that he would be called Emmanuel. That's the easy part. Some of you, some of you, you might have thought that you were having a daughter, but it turned out to be a son, or vice versa. Even with today's technology, you, you might have thought that, that you were done having children. Period. Some of you thought you couldn't have children at all. But yet, the truth of the matter is it's not always as we think. Some of you can't even tell someone what time you're going to arrive someplace because between here and thou, now someone is going to puke or worse and you're going to have to turn around and get a fresh set of clothes for them and you. We cannot, we cannot guarantee anything. But yet 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah declared specifics about the Messiah's birth. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is literally part of Every Christmas Eve service that we have, we read these words. But have you taken a moment to think about it before, that a virgin was pregnant? Friends, I don't know about you, but that's not a very common thing in my world, that a virgin is pregnant. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but... Before they came together, she had not had relationship with a man. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Matthew is himself providing an eyewitness account of these things that he had both seen and heard. As one of the disciples, he knew Jesus' mother Mary well, as well as his brothers. He was able to confirm these things, and the other Gospels and the other historians do not contradict Matthew's story. The third prophecy is that Jesus would be born, the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. We're talking 700 to almost 750 years before Jesus was born. Micah writes, But you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Once again, details about the Messiah. He's from the tribe of Judah. We read over that so quickly, we don't even think about it, but that's the priestly tribe, and the New Testament refers to Jesus as our high priest. He's from Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 1, verse, or excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, Notice that these chief priests and leaders did not have to go back and consult the Old Testament because they knew Isaiah's prophecy. They knew that the Messiah would indeed come from Bethlehem. And even two years after Jesus was born, when the Magi, the wise men, showed up and Herod asks the leaders if they knew, they knew it immediately. So what difference do these prophecies make to you and I today? Stoner, in his book, he illustrates what 10 to the 17th power is. He said if you cover the state of Texas with silver dollars, with that many silver dollars, it would fill the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. If you secretly marked one of them and took your friend and released them in the state of Texas and said you can go anywhere you want, but you can only pick one silver dollar, the chances of your friend picking the silver dollar that you marked is one in 10 to the 17th power. So that brings us back to Wesley's lyrics, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. That means God in the flesh. Do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus in the manger is the Son of God, the Messiah?